Well, Happy New Year there, folks. This is Keith Billick, and I sincerely hope that your New Year's resolution for 2024 is to listen to many more banjo-related podcasts, because I'm always happy to see you here. So welcome in. This is the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. I appreciate you joining me for the episode. And you know what? Even though I appreciate all of my listeners, there is a certain special class of listener that I appreciate even just a little bit more. And that, of course, is the VIP supporters of the podcast. Today's VIP supporter of the show is Alan Tompkins. Alan is a wonderful banjo player in his own right and also is the founder of the Bluegrass Heritage Foundation. So he has done a lot for bluegrass music over the years and continues to do so by supporting the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. So, Alan, thank you so much for your generous support and for being a listener. It was also great meeting you at IBMA this past year. This show would definitely not be possible if not for you and the rest of my VIP supporters. So head over to patreon.com slash banjo podcast to become a supporter of the show yourself. It's only a few dollars per month to sign up and you do get amazing rewards in exchange. So once again, patreon.com slash banjo podcast. There are other ways to show your support for the show. If you are on social media, you have undoubtedly seen a bunch of cool kids wearing their official Picky Fingers podcast logo shirts and hats all over the place. You can be one of those cool kids by going to banjopodcast.com. That's the official Picky Fingers merch store. And uh, yeah, we got the hats, the shirts, the stickers, the music that you're hearing right now available on mp3 and with banjo tablature for all of that check it out banjopodcast.com and go to the store there other than that make sure you like and subscribe on all the socials and the youtubes and all of that always very much appreciate getting that algorithmic boost and you can also email the show pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com watch me fade away as embers in the night not cross that frozen river the other side and I finally start to smile as I see them clouds giving way to sun cause we all know just how much we crave the warmth of the rays in these next few dreary months oh far too long these burdens weighed heavy on my heart just like that heavy snow weighs oh and I'm scared to death if I don't let in some light that this body simply seems to be. Sit beside me, talk with this sinner. I want to be your friend. Today we have a freshly picked episode looking at the brand new EP titled Off the Edges from Michigan-based bluegrass-adjacent supergroup Wilson Thicket. And, uh, you know, the banjo player for this group, the only thing that surpasses his amazing banjo skills is his incredible intellect and amazing good looks. And that banjo player's name is... Oh, well, it's it's me, actually. Yeah, this is, this is my new band. I don't get to talk about us a lot, but uh, if you've been listening regularly, you maybe have heard me talk about Wilson Thicket. Well, we just came out with our debut studio recording, and this is where I get to selfishly exploit my position as a bluegrass and banjo and media influencer and um, shamelessly shill for my own band's product. 
but fortunately you will get to hear many other voices other than my own. I decided to sit down with the whole band, my buddies Jason, Scott, and Aaron, and you're going to hear all about our new EP titled Off the Edges. So here it is, me and the rest of the guys from Wilson Thicket. All right, everyone. Well, despite my better judgment, I've decided to have all my boys in uh, in my new band, which is called Wilson Thicket. So, so let's go around the room, play the play the intro game. Who wants to start? You're looking at me, so I guess I'll go. Yeah. Uh, my name is Jason Denny. I play guitar and mandolin and and sing. My name is Scott Kendall. I play the upright bass. My name is Aaron Markovitz, and I. Play the guitar and the mandolin as well. All right. And, and saying some too. I won't bother introducing myself. Everyone has to hear me talk to no end. So they, they know who I am. But together we're Wilson Thicket. And uh, where did this album title even come from? Sometimes I like to, to start with that. It is a lyric from, from one of the songs. And that lyric actually came from, from Jason. I don't, I don't remember what we were doing. We were probably picking something and he was like something about falling off the edges and and for some reason that ended up in 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 the second verse of this december right and at least for me i kind of like picking out those little out of context lines from songs it gives a nice little easter egg for people to notice as they're listening like oh he said off the edges that's the name of it do you think it has a meaning in terms of the album title like is is there a reason you think we chose that uh, I'd say that as a band, we're we're not necessarily in one wheelhouse or another. You know, we call ourselves bluegrass adjacent. So maybe in a way that is, you know, kind of off the edges of tradition, but kind of keeping things within a, a lane somehow to go forward. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think that goes along with a lot of people ask us how we came up with the name. It's kind of a play on words, of course, but I think we all liked the metaphor of a thicket being not straight ahead bluegrassy. It's more messy. It's a tangled yeah. web of maybe some grass, but some other branches and sticks and whatnot. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about the actual recording process. Scott, lead us into that one. We recorded it with uh, our good friend Dave Menzo at the uh, now defunct Dreamhouse Studios. Yeah, we were the last project, yeah. <laughs> which uh, I guess that, what does that say about us, that the studio had to <laughs> close, shutter up as soon as, as, uh, as, soon but, as we uh, were out of there? Well, at least we'll make the documentary. <laughs> right, behind the music. <laughs> but yeah, Dave's uh, one of my best friends, known him for, for a really long time, and uh, I, I feel like I, I kind of sold us on him. So he had the studio, and we just went in and, Figured out how we wanted to do it. You know, we decided we want to do it live, you know, with live lead vocals. And I think that was a really great idea to know click track, to keep it just really true and authentic. Yeah, not even headphones. We were just Yeah, just us in, in the, the round room with yeah. some mics on us. And yeah, it was a it was a great it was a great process. Yeah, I'm really proud of that. That you guys, you know, and we'll get to the, you know, who's singing what and everything, but I'm kind of proud of us that we did it like that. That yeah, those. If you listen to the record, all the live vocals are. That's the take, and yeah. the solos. Like ninety-five percent of the solos were just the live take. So, yeah. I don't know about you guys, but I thought it really helped that Aaron here had a solo album come out pretty recently. 
called an infinite wave. Is that yeah. what, that's what it's called, right? Yeah. And that gave us an opportunity, and, and the rest of us guested on that, and that yeah. gave us an opportunity to be in the studio beforehand, and we kind of got to sample like a little taste of what setup worked for us, and I think that really helped yeah, the, us a bit. That really turned out. I think there, there were three tracks on that, on that record you're talking about yep. that, that you all played on. And it was the same thing. It, the, the, the lead vocal takes were live, you know, it was isolated in a, you know, we were wearing cans for that um, and did it like a little bit differently, but it really gave us, I feel like that gave us a little bit of confidence to be able to know that we could do that. We were put together enough at that point. Yeah, exactly. To, to be able to pull that off. Uh, Jason, do you have anything to say about, like, in general, what are the pros and cons when you're recording of having things isolated or using a click track or not using a click track? Like, what what's the decision-making process? If other people are in a band and going into the studio, how would you maybe explain what that choice is all about? I mean, it's uh, to go back and make edits, obviously, working with a click track is going to be the safest way to, to do that. You know, isolate everyone, you're all playing to a click. So it, it matches up rhythmically, so to speak. But something about bluegrass and acoustic music, it, an outfit of people can move instinctively together, whether it's slowing down a click or two or speeding up a click or two, and it still feel very musical and exciting. And I found that those moments don't happen as much when working with a click track. Everyone's so concentrated on listening to and staying to the click track that a lot of their dynamic sense disappears and so when you're having to also be in the same room with each other you're really listening to what everybody else is doing which is still better than listening to the click track if that makes sense yeah you're, you're in, in my sense you know just reacting to the other instruments um things move more organically um so i'm glad certainly that we took that approach with some songs after we had tried a click track on a, a tune or two, but it seemed to breathe more when we removed it. And that's on Aaron's album that and you're talking about. Aaron's yeah. album. Yeah. Yeah. And it is a compromise because, yeah, you do sacrifice editing capability. And I guess it, not to pat ourselves on the back too much, but it, it kind of goes to us being confident in the fact that we can do a take. Yeah. And not screw it up because once you start screwing up takes if if one person screws up a take and it's in that situation like the whole thing's ruined and everyone has to start over whereas if you're isolated yeah. one person screws up you just overdub it and fix it it's it's interesting being on both sides when you've had the freedom to go back in everything's isolated you can do your solo 6 times and or 60 or 60 and you know, and it could be note for note perfect. It could be timed perfect. And then again, you just go off the cuff and forget about the click and, and engineer says, well, here, just take a, another free pass. And there's just something about doing it both ways. The life gets lost being able to fix every last thing. And so I've lived with mistakes for years and mistakes on this record as well. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> but the... The spontaneity and the response and the energy between the things, maybe as I'm getting older, I find that more exciting than something that's totally just robotically perfect. Yeah. It could so, be like the sacrifice of like a missed note here or there for the sake of the performance 
that's more important. Yeah. More of a live feel overall. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And then of course the or I shouldn't say of course, but how we decided, you know, the the backing vocals are overdubbed. So it's, I'm not saying that everything you hear was live, but really the the vast majority of it is live take, and I'm pretty yeah. proud of us for that. Yeah. So yeah, as people listen to that to the record, you know, keep in mind that's that's what we sound like and that's what we were going for. Let's dive into the tracks. So as as all good albums do, we started off with like the hardest hitting, upbeat, energetic track, right? We did that, right? Not at all. I don't think. Wait, did why we? didn't we? Why didn't we do that? Did we mess it up? Do we gotta go back oh my to the gosh. drawing board here? <laughs> we were we're being artsy. What's the first song, Aaron? Uh, the first song is Three Stones in the River." I dropped three stones in the river, one for the times I could not rise above the trials in my life. But my grandfather told me. That your day is coming now. I know that it's been here all along. So I learned from the sun to keep on rising. And I learned from the moon how to light the darkest sky. And I learned from the silence to listen all through the night. That one's a song that I wrote, I think it was just like kind of just before we had formed as a band and when I when I wrote that, like, or it was just happening. And and I thought to myself, like, this would be a great one for us to do. And just just loving what happened with it from that point on. And I think that's the same thing with uh with any of my songs that are on the record. You know, they would just be solo arrangements. And then having that potential of the tune realized and and it just it's just a strong arrangement and a strong tune and it's uh yeah it's it's interesting that that it is kind of the most laid back one i think that there's exists. yeah i think there's something about it that just like connects with people and i think we chose it for that reason that people seem to connect with it so what better way to <laughs> introduce people to ourselves than something they're going to connect yeah yeah there's something yeah. if if you were to imagine driving up to a, a cabin up north michigan and a place you've never been and you get there nightfall when you wake up open those blinds and see where you are in the most beautiful setting perhaps covered in snow perhaps middle of summer whatever but that first view is kind of like stating the what the rest of the weekend's going to be like. It's like it it begins here. This sets the tone, and that song sets a tone. Whatever follows is just going to be a little bit more. It it just sets a tone. I love that. It's it. I I agree. I agree. It's just from the opening notes, and I I think that was that that instrumental tag on the front of that I think is something that didn't even really exist I was just playing the chords to it and then I think it was you that Keith that was like what if we just like play that melody or state the melody before it all happens and it does it, that is very tone setting yeah it became and the theme this, 
of the song. Basically, yeah. we play it yeah. after every chorus. Yeah, before the solos hit and everything, it just it's it's repeated a lot. I guess that's a good segue. Like, who wants to? Is there anything any of you want to say about the music itself or the arrangement or how that came about or individual parts? You know, I, I'm supposed to talk about banjo stuff. I don't I don't know that there's anything like groundbreaking about what I did, but I definitely took that there's approach a, of there's like a pretty sick little uh, lick coming out of that solo. <laughs> yeah. That 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 never existed <laughs> before again, the again. record. You must have Oh it came you, just days or what seemed like the day of. Yeah. Of the on the solo part. Yeah. It's coming out of the solo. It's yeah, like the watching you okay. um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember I mean you were to my left and it's like all these things were filtering out that we had never heard before. <laughs> nice. I must have been prepared or something. It, it, something was prepared. <laughs> I also love the like the form of the song and kind of how the story kind of unravels of like each one starts the same with like I dropped three stones in the river and then, well, what does that represent? Which And then, you know, what did you learn from that experience? And then the next one kind of goes a, a different thing and and what you what came out of that. And I just think it's a it's a it's just a beautiful song. Oh, I think it's you. awesome. So that that lyrically it does move through, yeah, drop three stones in the river, one, four, et cetera, yeah. et cetera, and like something different. And then each B section, and there's no bridge or anything. It's just kind of an A, B, A, B yeah. thing over and over again. It moves along in that way where it's like a, a three separate little stories. Little vignettes. Something. Yeah. Little vignettes, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, as a banjo approach, it's really just what Jason said, you know, try to complement what's going on with the voices and stay out of the way so yeah good kickoff tune what's the next one song called in my arms in my arms well, that day with you in white never came gone are the thoughts and memories of a love we thought could not be broken it's now in pieces of my dreams what does he tell you that i don't what will he do that I won't? What can I say to make these blues go away? Have you back again, dear, in my arms? Yeah, I mean, that's a song that, for me, it was probably the first um, vocal tune, lyric tune that I had finished. It just, it fits a certain place but just taking a hand at songwriting thinking about my grandparents who were in a bluegrass gospel quartet all through my childhood writing my first you know quote-unquote bluegrass tune I couldn't think of anything other than them and just their love of all of it the song isn't about them in any way mm. but inspired by all the things that they shared with me so I felt pretty good about that being my first song out the gate yeah because it's 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 stayed around for a long time. It's snappy. It's a it's a great live number. In fact, it's um I would imagine that it's probably started more of our set lists as the opening it, number it is of the night. An opener yeah. In the live set. Yeah. You know, again, it, it's another one of those setting a tone thing. Uh, yeah. for you know, a set of live performance. It's it kind of gets all the all the stuff shook off and yeah. Good singing together, good playing together and yeah, it's just a good, like, straight-ahead, upbeat, catchy... That nice kickoff. 
Yeah, so this uh, we were talking about like the potential pitfalls of recording things live that you might not get everything perfect and you just have to live with it. Like I will risk drawing people's attention to my mistake, but there's this um real twisty notey riff that you and I do mm-hmm. three times throughout the song and the very the opening one of it it's not quite as tight as I want it. No, nope. I'm sure you probably noticed that too. <laughs> you know, there's the I've, second two times I think we nailed it. Yeah. Have yeah. you back again, dear, in my arms? I read your letter late last night. Play that. This is like half the speed as it's supposed to go. And I know banjo people might not be able to tell by listening to it, but it's a twisty little odd fingering. And when you're starting a set like a at a concert, mm-hmm. and that's the first thing you have to play of the night, like, oh, I'm probably like 50-50 on whether I nail it. I, I, I usually like get it pretty close, but mm-hmm. ooh, it's tough. I usually want to make sure that I'm pretty warmed up if yeah. we're starting with that. You know, there's a lot. It's, it's a hard one to just go. You know, and start with that. Yeah, there's a lot to be said for getting a few moments to be warmed up before you start. Because, um, I mean, I've... But j- just out of excitement, sometimes it's like, man, the adrenaline is flowing. It's like, one, two, three, four. I'm really glad, by the way, that I just get to play a G and a D chord. You play an A and an E chord, Aaron. I mean, I love... Oh, it's capo speak. Capo speak. It's out of G shape for... It's it's key of two. Yeah, the key of two. <laughs> yeah. I do love that lick. I've I mean I've I've had fun with that, but it's it's great to hear it with mandolin and banjo for sure. Yeah. And I guess um another thing to say about uh Dave, the engineer, is that he definitely comes from uh, he's a diverse musician, but if you had to label him as anything, he kind of comes from this like psychedelic rock sort of sensibility. And this is the first w- the the record as a whole is pretty acoustic, bare bones, but there's a few moments where some out of the box thinking comes on, and and my my banjo solo has a little extra verb on it. Which looking back at it, I'm not sure I would choose to do again, but it's cool. I I love it coming <laughs> out of because the thing is is it's not like a it's 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 a fairly traditional sounding bluegrass tune. Yeah. But then there's this section where we go to that drop seven chord, I guess you call it, you mm-hmm. know, like where you're, where you're, that's where that really pops. Like that, you know, it's got this like rhythmic pulse going on. And then that kind of verb pops out and, and the banjo sort of jumps out at them. Held in shame. But that is a that's the banjo moment. It's a heavy moment. I love that's that. A, that's great. I think yeah. I I would choose to. I'm not a banjo player, but I would choose to like keep that verb and like that little bit of All something right. that's happening. I I yeah, think a it's great. Sauce. One of my favorite moments there. Yeah. yeah, I think that's really cool. Cool. I almost think of that as like when the dial gets bumped. It it changed station for a minute and it and it finally comes back into focus. It's just that moment. Anything else to say about that one, boys? 
I also like that we started the record with these two songs because, because <clears throat> like starting off with an Aaron song and then a Jason song, they they write very differently, but I feel like it works well together within the same project. Yeah. Um, so I like that we got to show off both sides right off the bat. Yeah, keeps things interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry for the interruption, folks. We'll be right back with the rest of the episode in just a few moments. But I had to take this opportunity to tell you about some of the sponsors of Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. The first one up is Elderly Instruments. I always tell people how Elderly is the world's most trusted source for new, used, and vintage stringed instruments of all kind. They're the first place I go for all my banjo needs. And also, by the way, any guitar, violin, ukulele, mandolin needs you have, they're going to have all of that. But you don't need to take my word for it anymore, folks. Elderly Instruments was just named the best small business in the country by the United States Chamber of Commerce. So first of all, congratulations to Stan Werben, Lillian Werben, and all the rest of the Elderly family for that remarkable award. And second of all, I encourage you all to go see what the fuss is about. Either get into the showroom in Lansing, Michigan, or visit them online at elderly.com. They have the entire inventory up there. They ship worldwide, and they have that great customer service that wins folks awards. Uh, And they're just a phone call away if you ever need any advice on any of those products. So once again, elderly.com or call them at 517-372-7880. The Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast is also sponsored by our good friends over at Peghead Nation. Peghead Nation is the nation's number one site for streaming video courses in banjo, guitar, mandolin, fiddle, dobro, upright bass, and ukulele where you can learn bluegrass, old time, and many other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in all of Roots music. Here is some of the selections, and this is just the banjo stuff. You can take beginning banjo with Bill Evans, bluegrass banjo with Bill Evans, claw hammer banjo with Evie Layden, Wade Ward style banjo with Bruce Molsky, the banjo according to Danny Barnes, or contemporary bluegrass banjo with Wes Corbett. Now, no matter what course you select, It's going to come with high-quality, multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tablature, play-along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play. And perhaps best of all, Picky Fingers listeners get a month free by entering coupon code PICKYFINGERS, all one word, all lowercase, at checkout. So once more, go to pegheadnation.com and enter PICKYFINGERS at checkout to get your first month free. The Picky Fingers Podcast is also brought to you by Sullivan Banjos. Now, I'm very familiar with Sullivan Banjos. I've been playing one for nearly 20 years. I get tons of compliments on that banjo's sound, and that's really no surprise because the Sullivan name has been synonymous with incredible banjo workmanship and tone for decades. So whether you are looking for a pre-war style traditional design on through the craziest custom design you can think of, Eric Sullivan is here for you to make your dreams a reality. So get in touch with him over at sullivanbanjo.com, email him at sullivanbanjo at gmail.com, or sometimes the best way is just the old-fashioned way. Give him a call at 502-365-5022. And don't forget to tell him that Keith at the Picky Fingers podcast sent you. 
and then back to an Aaron song. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. We go this into. Gambler. I think it's "Luck Beat the Gambler" is the next tune. So this is another new approach because it's showing off like your, this, some of this Travis, Travis pick. Yeah, your finger style, which stuff, I have yeah. no business doing with somebody like Jason in the band, <laughs> but I try. Yeah. So. <laughs> no, it's great. It's great. That train that you've been chasing all your life, but the journey is rewarding you with the joy you will know within your prime. It's really interesting. I, I always viewed this as like a very traditional sounding kind of tune when I would play it by myself. The background vocals that ended up being part of this song almost give it like a Beatles influence. Can't keep holding on. I totally agree. It, it like screams white album to me yeah. or something like that. Which is super, it, I never, this is the, the cool thing about going, like you write a song, you record a song, which I had done with this one, and then you continue to play the song, you know, over the course of a couple years, and then you add other people into the mix and it becomes something completely different. Like there's just other textures and sounds that can jump in that you would have never expected it to come out. And then yet it's got this super folky, like kind of walking kind of, you know, with the, 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 the mandolin and banjo interplay. Oh, speaking of things you can talk about with banjo on this, yeah. you played a different banjo, yeah, some this, fancy oh, banjo yeah. on this. Yeah, so this, this one, a lot of people will hear it right off the bat, but it's uh, tuned differently. I, I don't have my trusty Sullivan banjo that you've all heard about quite a bit on this one. You've come to know I and love. A, uh, Exactly. I do love it. I'm holding it right now, embracing it. Um, <laughs> I was lucky enough to obtain a uh, an ohm banjo recently, and I set it up uh, what a lot of people um, associate with John Hartford, John Hartford tuning. It's basically the, you know, a banjo is in open G in standard tuning. So the this one is in open E, so it's three half steps lower so you can play it just like a normal banjo but so it just inter- comes out low intervallically is that a word yeah it, it, is it the, so it's not like when you would tune a guitar say an open g tuning and then you would tune a guitar open e like they're different chord shapes this is the same chord shape in intervals so you're playing it exactly, exactly. the same yeah just down yeah okay so it's got that low you know kind of tubbier sound and like i said a lot of people associate it with a lot of people identify that as hartford tuning just because he used that a lot it's the same tuning as if people play a long neck banjo like a pete seeger style long neck banjo those typically have open e but they have really long necks and they're weird to play um so this one's very comfortable to play it's a bluegrass banjo but it just happens to have this different tuning and i thought that was appropriate for the song, not only because the song's in E, so it makes it a lot easier for me to navigate, but I thought it was a good idea because you playing in E, Aaron, uh, accomplished that by capoing four 
and playing out a C. I'm playing out a C shape. So there's there. this whole like low mid range yeah. register that's missing. You know, Jason's yeah. on mandolin, yeah, so, so you're that's not really even getting up above that. that. So it is um, filling in a space. So there's yeah, there's this like sonic uh, area that needed to be accounted for. So maybe between all of those things that we've just been talking about, I think that's what makes it seem like the most different one <laughs> of yeah. the album. I, th- I yeah. think. Everything had, all the the instruments have like their kind of little set range that they're sitting in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of weaving going on. Yeah, for sure. Anything else about this one? Any anyone particularly? Uh, I don't know. No, noteworthy well, you, you, moments. You changed the arrangement like immediately before oh, we recorded we it. Did and that do was kind of cool. Yeah, on we, the the very ending where we where we play the. Uh, a minor? That didn't minor go four. to the yeah. chord. Yeah. Is that called the deceptive cadence or something that happens when I'm you sure go to the six? Nerdy, or, I'm sure there's a nerdy, nerdy thing. Yeah. yeah, that didn't, that won't, that, that didn't did exist. not exist yeah. before. And then we did the walk down from the four at the end with like the descending vocal and then it lands on the minor four thing. And, yeah, that's, the only, even more and that's the only time we play that chord in the whole song is like the yeah, just second the to last chord of the end. Yeah, yeah. That was another thing that happened just, yeah. Was, it just evolved in that way. I think that was at a rehearsal at Keats where we were out back and I think we were playing through it and I was just like, we got to go to the six, we got to go to the six. You <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then like, we okay, did, okay, and then, fine. And then you had the idea, Aaron, <laughs> of going back to the four and holding that twice as long and then the five twice as long. Yeah, yeah. So that, that song kind of kind of morphed over time to mm-hmm. be what it is. And then that, that whole ending was just a series of mistakes. Right. <laughs> It kind of was. It really was. Yeah, because yeah. you were you, you said that you were practicing it and you accidentally played that four minor chord and then you were like, hey, this Ooh. is kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that song, I liked, I really like the way that it kind of changed over time and especially like the places where we lay out and Aaron keeps playing. Um, I just think it has a nice dynamic to it, the way it kind of ebbs and flows. Hats off to you guys for, you know, my little idea that we had never done before as we went into the studio, like, hey guys, how about we play a wrong chord <laughs> at like, the end? And you're like, sure. Absolutely. Cool. <laughs> yeah, I like that you, you brought up, we were, all, we were all just like, yeah, 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 yeah. let's do that. I mean, Thanks. it's that the playfulness of, of all of it, I think that is the most exciting thing. Regardless sometimes of the execution, it's like the, uh, the what if, like, oh, yeah. actually we could, we could do this. Uh, what's next? Is it Honey Hangover? Honey. Honey. So this is our we're we're back to one of Jason's songs, which which tend to be the bluegrass here. Jason comes from like more of a bluegrass background than Aaron does. You're more of like yes. a general like singer songwriter blues yeah. kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a bluegrass waltz. What do you have to say about this one, Jason? I mean, you know, it was written for my dad. Worked in a country bar. He was a, a doorman at uh, TJ's Mine Shaft. Is that in Cincinnati? It's in Pisgah, Ohio, a suburb of Cincinnati. But anyway, um, just, you know, he was looking for a third wife. And, you know, I had I had to take what was happening around me. Uh, I, I need to clarify. He, he's not in like a polygamous kind of way. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> like a, a third. <laughs> the first and second uh, failed right at some point. So he, he, he was single again. He was single again and looking for a wife number three. And, um, you know, I, I had a, a very uh, rough, rough stretch of time and, and not an all great uh, relationship with my father. And not to get too heavy into it, but that song, uh, we did not get along. 
um, the only thing we could talk about and, and agree on things was talking about bluegrass. Uh, couldn't have father-son conversations. Uh, just too much had, had transpired. So by the time I got to this point of trying to foster the only connection that we had, trying to keep it kind of tongue-in-cheek, uh, I just started writing the song for him because, again, it you know, he was calling me up saying he, he thought he had met wife number three and, and a couple weeks later, completely different scenario. So I wrote it as a joke of sorts to him, at him, to laugh with him. And, um, and I'm a sucker for a waltz. So the thing that's probably the coolest about this is that it's like the closest that we get, I think, to like the old school, almost brothers harmony type of sound. Oh yeah, and I, it's, I, it's basically a duet throughout. It, it is of a you duet. and Aaron. I, I chime in a little bit on on like the chorus, but basically the whole thing is yeah. uh, the two of you just uh, you know singing harmony with each other, and that's yeah. Between that and the waltz, it's just a cool kind of sound, and the, not to mention the the story behind it. The love that we share will go far, but the morning dawns a little sooner. Then my head and my heart will allow The pain is so clear when nobody's near Got a honey hangover now Always drink from that same lovely bottle Sunday to Saturday right Ending the same love's painful game Can't stop drinking that trouble inside and, and from the beginning meant to be a strong duet um, you know as a singer there's just something about that energy of just whether it's belting or super whispery and dynamic um, I love the brother style duets it's weird you know you write something with intention uh, with the story in mind but then at the same time I'm writing something specific, uh, specifically for a, a duet. So it's, it's you know, kind of like having a prompt with your songwriting. Um, songs, these, all these things have been written for very specific kind of purposes and then have turned into something entirely on their own after living with them for a while. And I guess I also forgot to mention that this, uh, this song and then also the next song, which we'll get to, is where the two of you switch instruments. So you're on guitar for this, Aaron, you're on Mando. And we got some of those really cool bends on the banjo. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I can talk about the bends. Um so this is uh you know, it's a waltz, but it's it's more or less like a country kind of sounding thing, and so I wanted to do my best steel guitar telecaster kind of thing. I don't know that I completely I wanted it even more. Like in in mixing we we brought it out, but banjos just have no sustain and it kind of drives me nuts for stuff like this. But um, yeah, I tried to do a lot of the, you know. Uh... You know, stuff like that, which might sound nice right now, but when you're playing with a band, a lot of that sustain just gets swallowed up and you just hear the, you know, the banjo attack and then nothing else. So that's what I was going for. And I think it ended up cool, not quite as like 
sustainy as I wanted it. And part of that's on me. Maybe I just didn't hit it quite right, but part of it's just the nature of the banjo, I think. It just doesn't have that. But yeah, that's what I was going for is like some some steel guitar sounding stuff just for the the vibe of the song, the the it's, subject matter of of it kind of has a country whiskey yeah. whiskey country bar kind of song's thing. got a country flair even yeah. like even though it's a bluegrass waltz it yeah. kind of has that spirit of a country song so. it's a it's a honky tonk bar on bluegrass night yeah, that's right I guess I'll also <laughs> say you know I don't um, this isn't anything like super special but sometimes I even get annoyed with myself that I don't think of other things more imaginative but I I tend to rely a lot in this song on this particular pattern which is like um so the song's an e i'm an a or i'm in uh capoed <laughs> capoed to the second key fret, of i should two. say <laughs> playing it out of d yeah i'm key of two <laughs> played out of d shape so um i kind of do these patterns of so if I'm making this D shape, I do a lot of these pull-offs. And that, then I you know, transfer it as I go up the neck to different keys. That's kind of a little nice waltzy pattern that I seem to fall into quite a bit. Um, Which fits in nicely with the accents of the other instruments. Yeah, I, I think that's maybe how I came to rely on that pattern a lot, as it seemed to just fit in with the gaps that the voices create with the with the lines. But um, you know, sometimes I think us as banjo players we get so locked into. Just sixteenth notes nonstop. That switching to a waltz time, if you haven't practiced it, and I'll be the first to admit that I don't, I don't practice playing in waltz time like that often. So it's yeah. Well, and something to be said for this particular four-piece outfit is the fact that while we have a great deal of material, that you know the roll could just serve its way all the way through, like a chop would serve its way all the way through, and, mm -hmm. and boom, chuck, whatever. The fact that we're also hitting these areas where there is no constant. And like, so those kinds of patterns we can't simply use all the way through, right. filling up every beat. Yeah. Um, it's, it, a lot of it's disorienting. Uh, right. But also on a song like this and on a lot of other ones that we do where it's Scott playing the bass, obviously. And then if you two are both singing harmony, any fills or anything else is like, totally up to me to do or not do, but yeah. I, I'm going to be the one to do them. So I guess that's how that ends up happening a bit too. Right on. All right. Uh, Jason on guitar song number two, Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus. It was there that Jesus saw him say, come over here. My good friend Bartimaeus, you have nothing to I'll 
be healed because you believed in me. Son of David, have pity on me. I am blind and I long to see. I believe you're the son of light that can bring to me my sight. Son of David, have pity on me. So I've had a long history of playing at Trinity House Theater. There was a, a volunteer there. Which is a venue in, in Livonia, Livonia, Michigan. Livonia, Michigan. Like kind of suburban Detroit area. Uh, it's a nice 87, I think, is the capacity. So a yeah. very small theater. Uh, there was a volunteer there that had, he was going to seminary school, and he had... Uh, sheets of lyrics and things that he's like, yeah, if you can make any use of this, you know, have at it. So there was a little bit there and I enlisted a friend of mine to help me finish a, a bridge lyrically. And so I put it all together and wrote the music to it. And um, it was just one of those things I remembered as a kid from the Bible, Bartimaeus, uh, just it's just a, I don't know, as a kid, maybe that's something that you can latch onto and be like, wow, <laughs> the power of God. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, what can I say? It's a gospel tune. And uh, it's definitely, that's a dynamic one for me. Well, most people, when they think of gospel songs, they're thinking of something far different than like kind of a minor key. Yeah. A uh, little more of a, slamminish bluegrass type of sound it that that riff i mean i love d minor i've spent a lot of years in alter tunings and i just i, I was i love minor tunings i love minor chords uh but the interplay between the b flat and in d minor mm -hmm. for me and that's a pretty explosive kickoff uh a lot of every every note is being hammered into and that whole opening phrase. Yeah, you have a an interesting enough guitar style that I, I I'm such a sucker for learning all these riffs note for note. That was a tricky one, man. There's there's a lot going on there. It's a little explosive with the hammer-ons, um, but it's a way that I play. I, I make use of open strings no matter how high up the neck I am, and I've I've just developed this thing that I'll I'll play a string open and I'll hammer into it, but I could be hammering into it up at the ninth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth fret. Yeah, it's not as linear as maybe a lot of bluegrass guitarists yeah. would normally do. Yeah. Which means transferring it onto banjo has all sorts of like challenges. So the 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 intro riff that he's talking about, it's uh I'll see if I can even play it. I'll I'll play it slowly. Almost played it right, but even even little things like uh, there's a section where it goes from bounces from D to C a couple times. Even little things like the first one is slid, yeah, and then the second one is bent, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, th those phrases are very specific to me. I, I get to that point where you know it has to be a hammer or 
or slur here, slide here. Um, there's only one way that it's right in, in, in how I hear it. Um, and then the chromatics at the end. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's a lot to chew. It's a chew lot on. of stuff happening in, in such a short little span. Yeah. But it, 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 again, it's uh, setting a tone for the story that follows. Um, and that's a, that's a pretty, to me, it's, it's a powerful story, but the music is powerful. And again, a song that has followed me around through a couple of projects, but the bridge never came into full shape until Scott. Oh yeah. Scotty, this is your, your time to shine here. Scott (laughs) taking his approach to it. Um, you know, it's a heavy moment that breakdown as it is, but, uh, some of the lines that you play and that bridge, that's like, you know, you were in my mind 10 years ago when it was written. I just hadn't met you yet. (laughs) Oh, that's sweet. (laughs) <laughs> but it, it all it all came it all came together it, again. It's just cool to hear a recorded version of it, like finally landing into where it feels like it should have been the whole time. I don't know. That bass part didn't sound like bluegrass to me, Scott. What do you have to say for yourself? I'm so sorry. Keith. <laughs> <laughs> and I just want to say for the listener that line that Keith just played. It starts. He's spanning five frets. <laughs> like it's it's a big stretch. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, not for the faint of heart or hand. Yeah. But yeah, when you brought this song to us, I was so excited because we don't really play anything else like this that's like this, you know, quick, but really powerful, but minor key, but like just great melodies. And and it's it's one of my favorite songs that we play. I just love it. Anything to say about your bass feature? Yeah, I mean, you know, Jason wrote it, but um, I got to do a little thing at the end that, that actually it was it was kind of scary when we were in the studio until we figured it out where that last line, I flubbed it on the take. We were like, this is it. We did it. And I was just like, no. Yeah. Your heart sinks. <laughs> um, and cause you know, we didn't record to a click. So I was like, well, there's no way, you know, we can take it from another take and the take before I'd nailed it. And so Dave just, you know, goes into logic and he snipped the, the part from the last take and we put it in this take and it matched up. It worked perfectly. Learn from Bartimaeus to call Jesus when I'm lost. When my life is filled with sorrow, he can help me bear my cross. I know he is my savior, though sinning man am I. Only he can give me back my hope, only he can hear my cry. Son of David. You know, we put a little filter and a little distortion on my bass and uh, made Jason sound like he's singing through a megaphone. Yeah, so being oh, yeah. a uh, gospel Bible story, I think we had in, we envisioned like a tent revival kind of situation. Is that yeah. is that yeah what your yeah, understanding cool. was? Yeah, I, right. I mean, I, I can I'm on the soapbox with the the megaphone, <laughs> right. screaming at all you sinners. You sinners. <laughs> <laughs> I'll talk some banjo stuff because there's um, there's a few things I did that I could probably point out for people. So like the um, the vocal melody, which as any good banjo player will do, the first thing you do when you approach a solo is maybe like try to try to f- figure out a way around the vocal melody, and it keeps coming coming back to the that D to C note, 
Nerve Bart Mayers. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 dun. Like that, that's a highlight of the melody. So I try to capture that and I, you know, to keep it interesting, you tend to do it in different ways. So like the first way I do it is our, um, I associate this a lot with like Scott Vestal. If you do this like open D shape, where you hit the D, but then you do a thumb index middle on that low string. So that's what I'm doing, but it's switching to the to the C note. And then the next time, I kind of just do more of a it's it's a more of a slide. And then the third time, I go up and do a little more of like a, a rock and roll bend. So I kind of, you know, that's the way I chose to be true to the melody, but also keep things interesting, is finding those sections are just two-note melodies, but you just yeah. find different ways of articulating them. Is that your kickoff to your solo? Like, it kind of sounds like... But you do some rhythmic thing with your right hand. Yeah, it's a jazz, more like percussive. I get a little more muty, almost like a chicken picking. So cool. So that's... I, when I demonstrated it, yeah, that's the pattern, but I did a little more of it. Yeah, that's yeah, awesome. It's like, like a, it's like a telly picking kind yeah, of. Yeah, like a Brent Mason kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and another thing I'm proud of is uh, leading into Aaron's mandolin solo. Oh, that's a wild line that happens right there. <laughs> I don't even know what it is, and it's really like, it's like there's... Well, let me show you, Aaron. Stuff. Yeah, you, please, you should. <laughs> it's, a, it's a contrary motion line, which means you have one line moving down while another moves up, and it's basically over a D minor chord, but it, you... Where your solo picks up is on a C, so I basically yeah. want to have this D minor chord focusing and morphing into a C. So I start with um, a high F, that's the third fret on the D, and an open D, and I kind of just move each of them, you know, I move that one up, and I move that one down with the goal of ending up on on a C chord. So it ends up being... So it's it's kind of crazy. That's really cool. I, I love I that, love that's contrary motion. That stuck out lift. to me. That 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 last line of that cool of that solo is just like it's super weird. Yeah, super sick. It goes off yeah. the rails for a second. Off the edges, like, maybe. Off the edges. That's <laughs> that's actually where the title of the record came from. Was from from Keith, that last Keith line of Keith Spanger's solo. I like imagine. You know, I'm a, I'm an old track team member from my high school days, and I always consider when there's like that solo thing it's almost like you're on a relay team you're passing I'm trying the, to like hand you the, the baton torch. and i just have to find my way to like gut it out to the end and and you're just hoping i don't drop it right <laughs> just <laughs> that's my hope I'll just, that, I'll just throw it at you then that, that country motion thing happens again right after that before before the kind of breakdown part where you guys are all descending and then yeah kind of going up yeah not within one instrument but like between all of us there's yeah. some yeah. Yeah, exactly. Cool. All right, so finally let's let's uh move on to the grand finale this December. Aaron, take us uh through this one. Well, here we go. Uh so we're we're recording this 
podcast in December. Right. And uh, this was not written this December. It was written probably two Decembers ago, I think, at this point, which is wild. So you're a fraud is what... But it's always this... So, so yes, that too. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I, I think that this the idea of the song and the fact that it came at it comes at the end of a year where all of these things that have built up over the year that you're thinking about letting go of or I remember that December it was a an interesting year prior to that and this also came out of like this was literally a songwriter prompt I was going to this writer's circle and just the prompt was like well let's just write a song about December and the holidays or whatever you comes to mind when you think about, you know, specifically the holiday season and things. And this song ended up really having nothing to do with that necessarily. It, it was kind of going through this this rough year, and I started to reflect on on all the ways that I kind of wanted to just start to voice those things instead of holding on and letting those things out into the open so they could just come to pass. And... uh I think that that kind of comes to a head at the bridge of the song lyrically. And and yeah, it, it didn't really have anything to do. Like it mentions like holiday season in it. and Some lights going up or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's cool. This this one is um, very not, you know, it, it sounds bluegrassy because we have sections that have a bluegrass rhythm and there's banjo in it, which tends to make anything <laughs> sound bluegrassy. <laughs> but it's like at its... Essence, it's not really a bluegrass song at all. No. Well, far too long these burdens weighed heavy on my heart, just like that heavy snow weighs upon the trees. And I'm scared to death if I don't let in some light that this body will simply cease to be. Sit beside me, talk with this sinner, I want to be your friend. I'm broke as hell, but I'd like to buy you dinner. Tell you that I swear I'm on the men. I'm gonna quit my bitch and falling off the edges, doing everything not to do my best. I think every single song has its own way of developing. You know, I had been prompted with this song idea and, and I woke up in the morning with a line in my head. It was the it was the I am broke as hell, but I'd like to buy you dinner line. Yeah. That I woke up with in my head, like from a from a dead sleep. And I'm just like, that's gotta be something. Like that's a weird <laughs> line to put in a song, but like that was the first line. And what does that have to do with this December or or the holidays or anything? Nothing necessarily, but I, I started to develop a whole idea. Uh, around the way I, I had been feeling the past year and how I was going to try to not let those things be in control so much anymore. And I think that's where the off the edges idea, I felt pretty off the edges. A little out of know? control. Yeah, I felt just off the edges. I felt like I needed to just realign and and what better time to just you know come into that than the ending of of a year and just starting anew in a way. Yeah. Scott, from your perspective, th- this one strikes me as having more to it than our other songs in terms of style changes, starts and stops, 
maybe chords. I don't know. How, talk about what you have to figure out for a song like that. I mean, I love this song. I love how dynamic it is. Um, yeah, I like that it goes outside of the key sometimes. Like in the, when the holidays are coming around, that section where we're doing this like chromatic mm-hmm. walk up. Um, we don't see that in a lot of our songs. Um, I love the bridge. The bridge is so good. And what what Keith, you and Jason do with the harmonies, especially like when we come out of that, and you guys have that like, uh, oh, all right, yeah, when I when love that was the mistake the, section you yeah, were talking about earlier. Mistake, so yeah. it, that yes. was like the that, the chord it wasn't supposed to go to, and right. that created like this vocal slide that happens and brings it back in. The, that, that, that brings it back into like the yeah. like the bluegrass feel and. I think yeah. we were at rehearsal, right? And you you yeah. played the wrong chord. We were all kind of yeah. like, "Oh, yeah, no, 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 all right, keep well, that there." There was a <laughs> there was the he played the wrong chord in the demo. Yeah, and yeah. And you were like, "I didn't mean to do that. It was a mistake." And it's just like, "Don't you dare change that." Uh, <laughs> and then we revisited basically, you know, that mistake. And it, it it without that, I just you know the tune lyrically would be lovely, but what it turned into and morphed into musically now i can't envision it without yeah and that's that's like the the climax of the song is like that moment after that chord that you know it comes out of yeah oh it's so good yeah and i don't don't even know that i realized it until i'm thinking about it right now like is this the only song that we have that there's like no solos in yeah there's No, no solo. There is no solo section. <laughs> but there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. This it's, is actually like a really challenging piece for me to play. I don't yeah. know about you guys. It took me a long time to get the the arrangement down of like, okay, okay, now it's going to the you know that that chromatic section or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I feel like this song, from compared to like when you first brought it to us to the finished song, at least where it is right now, I feel like it may, maybe the most changes out of all of our songs. You know, like at like the bluegrass after. I remember when when we when we started that yeah. it was after that that B flat yeah. chord. Yeah, the bluegrass after. That was like that was like a big moment for us. <laughs> um, and like I love the interplay between you guys on the bridge between Jason and, and Keith. Um, the and way Jason's back on the mandolin for this one. I yes. guess we should yeah. mention and just just the way that your parts kind of intertwine and the you know it's, I just think it's beautiful. Something about those two instruments, whether it's me on mando and banjo or it's Aaron on mando and you banjo, the, those two instruments are just made to... Something about the timbre, the, how they blend. The plunk yeah. and the twang yeah. or whatever. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, fiddle being in this project would change everything, but um, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> for, for what Stuart it is. Duncan, if you're listening, <laughs> <laughs> we, we have an open position for you. <laughs> When Robert and Allison are done with you, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess I'll talk about, I, I said it was a challenging thing for me to play. I guess I'll just like go through some of it. So the that intro part that Aaron was saying is more of just like a little theme. This is still something that, like, if I don't keep in practice on this, I'll mess it up because it's it's a tricky part. So, um, so this one's in C. Let's so like, yeah. I think if I have to think about what makes this tricky, it's that it shifts 
the melody focus from upbeats to downbeats, from one string to the next. So like a, a basic roll that I use is kind of like a two backwards rolls. And then um, I guess I'll call them double index rolls. But I'm keeping the G string open and kind of going up C arpeggios. And then it switches to a G, G arpeggios. And that's when it starts pivoting <laughs> the melody. And it's And um, what? Right there, I have like one of those like pull-offs, uh, and I do. Oh man, that I can't, I can't even start roll, talking little, about like all the things. That little like triplet uh, roll within there that you do is cool. Yeah, so there's just it just jumps around all over the place. The accents need to be on different strings in different parts of the beat. And it was just like a really fun puzzle to take what you were playing on guitar. And I knew that I could figure it out on banjo, but it was just a nice puzzle for sure. Yeah, it's like a sled ride at the end of the tune. All of us on that lick, even though I, the mandolin, steps out a little bit different in reharmonizing at the end of the melody when we all do it together at the end but it's like the second you jump on it's a blast right i particularly love this tune because scott and i enter at the same time mm -hmm. and you know there's so many moments where it's either me and aaron singing together or me and keith are backups together or we're playing together or you guys were playing together this is one of the few moments where it's like you and I are together, Scott. Yeah, it's not uncommon to see us fist bumping before but, we come in on this one. <laughs> that, is, that is how we have to do it every time. I've never noticed that, probably because I'm concentrating too much on what <laughs> I was just <laughs> trying to play. Oh, but it's such, no matter where that song is in the set, though, it's, it's one of those great moments, though, where you, you know, you connect in that moment. That song always brings it to a place, again, like a, it just brings it to a place and another getting in line with you know one of your bandmates it happens for all of us in every combo at some point mm -hmm. which um, that's one of the things as I listen to these six tunes there's a lot of that happening people might not notice it but um, it's not just everyone running the whole time we yeah. could easily do that everyone has their turn to do the thing and to back up the thing um, and Scott was saying he how much he loves the the bridge. That's definitely like a whole other banjo thing for me. I knew it. I knew I wanted it to sound like really rich and lush and colorful. like and colorful. So I'm like like the first. What are what are you even playing there? Is that a B flat, B -flat. chord? Yes. Yeah. So I, I knew I wanted suspended. a lot of like suspensions and like weird yeah. color color notes. So I guess I'm playing this uh, like from low to high. It's G C F B flat, and then I'm also hitting my G string. Yeah. 
and it just adds enough color to kind of give it that vibe. And I, you know, almost all of the changes go through some of those like suspended. Theorists call that a chordal chord. A chordal chord? Chordal chord. Right. Other than the G. Because you're going fourth, 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 fourth. Yeah, except I have the G in there too. G, C, F, B flat? G, C, F, B flat, but it has that. But yeah, you're basically right. (laughs) It's just an octave of the lower one. And then the next time the B flat rolls around, I'm doing more of like a G minor 7 kind of thing. So yeah, a lot of just this arpeggiated, colorful kind of sounds. And we have our backing vocals and yeah, I think it just tries to lift up there's a lot what of, you're doing. There's a lot of interplay between the mandolin and the banjo. And um, you know, for a live vocal take, the vocal performance on it is like just killer too. Which is uh Wow, well, thank you. You know, it's I, I mean we Let's not forget, too, it's strange that we came in on that recording session from playing Awake. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. And not only, not, not just any Awake, but like a, a fairly did, tragic yeah. Yeah. Um, it was situation a, of, of like someone who passed away in what, their mid-30s and mid, left behind, like what, a wife and a kid? Two, and two kids, kids, I think. Yeah. Two kids, okay. Yeah. Um, uh, I think it was at one point. It was like a really heavy day. We definitely did. Yeah. It was a very heavy day. And, you know, this is someone that we did not have a personal connection to. But all of us being who we are, uh, the respect that we had going into it and preparing for it, and then getting to a, a recording session with all of that weight still upon us and getting into a new space that we had never been in. And then deciding to do so much of it as we did live. It's, I find it still amazing what we came out with and just how little time we actually had, you know, music committed to tape. It was only two days that we did all the music. And then the last day was, was mixing, right? Yeah. It was, I mean, two days and uh, a lot flying by very quickly and a lot of decisions made very quickly. And um, there's a lot of great interplay and dynamics and, and just listening that, to me, that's, that's the thing that's more exciting. I know a lot of people might not get that from their first five to six listens, but I'll always remember all of the somewhat constraints that were at play while we were also fulfilling these, you know, yep. <laughs> uh, ambitions for these tunes. And it is just a snapshot in time. Yeah, for sure. Well, I'm proud of it. Proud of you guys. Good job. Everyone should, uh, everyone should go buy it. Where, Absolutely. How do people buy it? Anyone know? WilsonThicket.BandCamp.com That's it. Whoa. <laughs> Nailed it. Or you can come to a show. Oh, and, yeah. And come you to a show. can get buy a, a, hard copy. a compact disc if you still are able to use those. Yeah, exactly. But where can they find out when we're playing, Aaron? Well, I'll tell you. You can go online and give us a follow. Uh, just go to our website, really, is the best way. I think we post all of our shows on our website. 
www.wilsonthicket.com. But Jason, what if people only use social media? Well, there is an Instagram account. There is. Wilson Thicket. You should, that's. We got the Facebook too. The Book of Faces. Yeah, there's probably more content uh, that might be readily seen on the Facebook page. Um, which typing in, you know, searching for Wilson Thicket, I can't. I don't know what the. Um, yeah, if you look, if you type in Wilson Thicket on on Facebook or on Instagram or on Twitter or on YouTube, you'll find us. Or on YouTube, yeah. That's kind of the cool thing about having a name like Wilson Thicket is if you're on YouTube and you search Wilson Thicket, you're you're pretty much just gonna find us. Uh, all right, I think we will mercifully end this interview. But well, thanks for having. Everyone knows where yeah. to find us. I appreciate you, man. Thanks, Keith. Yeah, f- I mean. I'm glad my long con on this whole (laughs) having a podcast thing played out after like five and a half years. I finally get to do an episode about my own band and push the music. And um, And because she listens, I'm just going to say, hi, Mom. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. If you are interested in making a download or purchase a CD of the new Wilson Thicket EP, that link is in the show notes or just type in wilsonthicket.bandcamp.com into your browser to check that out. Thank you once again to Alan Tompkins. He's today's VIP Patreon supporter of the show. Head over to patreon.com slash banjo podcast to support the show yourself. Buy official Picky Fingers merchandise over at banjopodcast.com or contact the show. That's pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in, everybody. I will see you all next time. saying that i think that every time we hang out and rehearse though that we should be speaking into microphones because now i listen to you guys and it's not that impressive like you talk and i'm like it's not that i'd like i'm not excited about hearing you talk anymore